This podcast is brought to you by Greyblock Pizza, one of the best pizza places in Santa Monica, located at 1811 Pico Boulevard. Stop on by. Hey, welcome to Mod Rats, episode 31. 31. We are super delighted today to have an exciting guest. Mm -hmm. First, I'll start with myself because I'm a selfish, narcissistic asshole. My name is Thomas. (laughs) To my right, see, I didn't even do ladies first, is the lovely Juliette Lamar. And today, gracing us with his presence, I don't know how to introduce this guy. He's got his hand in a lot of baskets. Let's just leave it at that. I'm a basket weaver. (laughs) (laughs) That's his introduction. He is just a simple basket weaver. That is all. Matt. McManus. And a basket case. Hi. <laughs> my name is Matt McManus. And I'm, I'm very excited to be doing this podcast awesome. today. Uh, we were supposed to do it in like a week from today, and then you guys asked me to come in early. Is that what happened? And I am really excited to be here early. Really? I thought that was the opposite. I thought you were supposed to be in last week, and your we publicists pushed it back to this week. I also like your publicist a lot. She's very detail-oriented. Which she is nice. really is. Yeah. yeah, she's rocking. Yeah. Oh, man. I, she uh, sent me all of your... Like, I, know, I feel like I already know you. We don't even need to do this interview. Like, you can leave. It's fine. <laughs> so why don't you just tell me what you're impressed with and I'll just here. <laughs> well, I personally, at first, was very impressed. You've been making content for so long. Yeah. And I feel like it's such a hot word now. Oh, got to make content. Right. Got to make content. Are you making content? And then looking at your resume, this guy's been making content before it was making content. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I stumbled into making content, essentially. Yeah, and all kinds. It's not He's not just a YouTuber or something. You, you Music, you write books, you mm-hmm. are a personality. Go ahead, tell us your content. Uh, I mean, I, I guess you want me to start at the inception of it? I think so, because I like inception sure. stories. Great. Um, I was in a sketch comedy group in New York City that I started with a group of people in college in upstate mm-hmm. New York. And then when we graduated college, we all moved to Brooklyn together. And we performed at all of the biggest comedy clubs in New York City. We were very young, very aggressive, uh, and we were touring uh, universities in that part of the country as well as doing uh, festivals and competitions like the Chicago Sketch Festival um, at the at the uh, Second City uh, Theater there uh-huh. in Chicago. And then, you know, after a bunch of years in New York City, slowly but surely, different members of the group started moving out here. And I was the last man standing in New York, and I had no intention of moving. So I, I, I love New York more, you know, more than anything, or at least that's how I, I used to feel. And <clears throat> I was kind of at a loss of what to do creatively because I had been working with this band essentially for you know six, seven years. And I was starting to take these original characters that I created on stage and just go into the public with them. And with no cameras, no nothing, just kind of aimlessly being creative in the streets of New York. So I probably just looked like another one of the crazy people out there, which I actually was. But I was doing this one character that I created called the Chad. Yes. And, this, and the Chad came about because I had ha- longer hair than I have right now. And I was a, li- a little bit heavy, more heavy set than I am right now. And I shaved my head one afternoon and I went to work and one of my co-workers was like, man, you look like some, some asshole named Chad in high school <laughs> that plays lacrosse and cheats on his girlfriend and drives a Camaro. And... I, I said, no, I'm not Chad. I'm the Chad. I don't know. I just came out of my mouth. And so I started becoming like this hyperbolic version of myself that like was kind of dumbed down and like ultra-specific things like bagels and sweater vests and girls from Florida, um, deep-fried food. Just really silly things. I didn't think it was going to go anywhere, but I was, this character in the streets of Manhattan, this young filmmaker, found me one afternoon and was like, I've been watching you for and 
you're crazy. What are you doing? So I was, I'm like, I don't know. She's like, what are you doing tomorrow morning? And I said, well, I don't know. What do you want me to be doing? She said, we're going to go somewhere special. Where do you live? And I trusted her. <laughs> I, tr I, I trusted her. And she's like, give me your address. So that next morning, I get a, a, a beep on my, on my door, and it's this woman with a camera crew. And she's like, we're going to the American Idol auditions in New Jersey, and you're going to bring the Chad to American Idol. And I was like, okay, how does this work? She's like, well, we're going to go today, and there's going to be 30,000 people there. You have to wait in line to get a bracelet. And then if you get that bracelet, if you're lucky enough to get that bracelet, you come back the following day and actually audition. Yes. And I'm not the singer, really, you know? I sang in high school. Does Chad sing? He does. Oh. He sang Whitney Houston, <laughs> Peter, Paul, and Mary, Hall and Oates. But the classics. The, the, cl the classics. I mean, the stuff that is uh, really ballady, very arena rock heavy, very approachable, mostly white, uh, with the exception of uh, Whitney Houston. Mm -hmm. Somehow, you know, the greatest love of all will always be the greatest love of all. Absolutely. So, singing. so anyway, I went this one day, and I, when I become these things that I create, to be honest with you, I mean, it's an even longer story. But as a child, I had social anxiety. You would put me around a group of people, and I, my brain would shut off, and I would become like a different version of myself. Welcome to my world. Yeah. <laughs> and like Batman, for example. You know, Batman became the thing that he feared most, which, yes. was, which, he, which was a bat. He became a symbol for his biggest fear. Mm. And I, I didn't realize I was doing it as a child, and I didn't realize that that had matured into what I was doing at this moment, but when I became this character around all of these people, I didn't remember what I did that day. I just remember I was tired when I got home. Hmm. <clears throat> the next morning, I woke up with this bracelet on my hand, and a phone, and my cell phone was like, yo, we'll be outside in 15 minutes. Go get us coffee. So I walked down the street to get us coffee, and I looked down, and my face is on the cover of every newspaper in New York City. Wow. As this character, That's Chad. Chad. Yeah. Now, this was in the infancy of YouTube. She told me that night she was going to upload the video to YouTube. I said, great, have fun. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't know what it meant. Did you, you know, watch I, YouTube at all before this? I knew that it was kind of like something you could utilize to find music videos. Okay. Like if you were at a party and someone's like, play Return of the Mac, you would just go on YouTube. Right. Yes. That was its yes. primary mechanism. There were no personalities at that point. Um, and so they picked us up, and I guess I was screaming the whole day about that. I, I was upset that I had forgotten wearing my sweater vest. And the girl made me a t-shirt that I still have that says, I, I wish I wore my sweater vest. And this character was uploaded overnight to YouTube and had a million views that next day. Wow. And so as I went back to audition, Rolling Stone was waiting for the Chad, wow. MTV was waiting for the Chad, and so were like these people that I was singing, was singing, dancing, and being an idiot around. And she was like, you're, you're, you're like in this crop of first YouTube celebrities. Yeah. I still didn't know what that meant, but we made 98 videos as this character. We make, you know, we went to the US Open, and <laughs> I, I was trying to play a game with it with like a, a famous tennis player and I got maybe 300 people behind me to like cheer to let them to let me in. They didn't let me in, but I threw a party in the parking lot. Huh. And I went to Fashion Week in Bryant Park in New York City with a, a line of my own personal sweater vests. And I got, <laughs> and I, they wouldn't let me in there either. They had to escort me off the premises, but I got 
maybe 15 young men and women to wear my sweater vests and do a, a fashion show in Bryant Park with me that there were like probably 700 people at at the time. Wow. Now, as you're progressing with this character, you were saying that you wouldn't really remember a lot of the stuff you did because it, you're just embodying it and it's mm -hmm. taking all of your energy to create this other being, so the mentalness is not being categorized. Uh, as you've now lived with Chad a little bit longer, did you start to remember things? Did you, he start to become more of you and you the Chad? The Chad is no more. Okay. The, but, but when you were doing it, though, uh, did you start to remember a little bit? Yes, okay. uh, he, here and there. Yeah. But I, I've taken that kind of content and matured it. And yes. uh, I, I moved out here. So we made like 98 videos, and we got a pilot deal with Fuse, in the, in, you know, which was a different kind of company back then. So we shot a pilot that was very different from the original concept. The people that I had been working with all along had a different idea of what, where they wanted to take our, our stuff. Mm -hmm. And so it just didn't translate in this pilot, it, although it was fun to make. And when you know, we kind of parted ways, I knew that I, I had squeezed New York City out and it had squeezed me out as well. Mm. It had run me out, not to drive, but it had just kind of given me a run. Mm. I had been there for nine years. All my friends were getting married and moving out of the city. And I just, I decided to buy a 1990 Acura Vigor and drive it across the country with a pocket full of dreams looking to turn them into exclamation points. Huh. And I, I got here and I moved to West Hollywood with one of my college friends. And, she's, and I had a, a, a meeting set up for me at William Morris Endeavor, which is arguably the biggest mm -hmm. uh, agency in the, in the world. I thought I was going to move here and be Vinny Chase. And I, because my best friend, the godfather to my five-year-old son, set me up a meeting there because he worked in politics. And Rahm Emanuel was uh, Ari Emanuel's brother, yep. also Barack Obama's right-hand man. So all these agents from this agency were placed under my friend in the Obama campaign. And my friend's like, my friend's moving to L.A. Can you meet with him? Third day in L.A., I walk into William Morris Endeavor with a tuxedo on, an acting reel that was 19 minutes long on a DVD, yes. a spiel that I had rehearsed the whole way across the country, and I walk into this office, and I give this guy my song and dance, and he stops me dead in my tracks, and he says, Matt, you got a lot of energy. I don't know if you're talented. I'm not going to watch a 19-minute reel. I don't have that kind of time. What do you got going on? I said, I just got here. Give me something to do. He's like, it doesn't work like that. Let me mm -hmm. tell you something, Matt. While we've been sitting here for five minutes, 3,000 people have arrived in Los Angeles. How are you going to differentiate yourself from them? And because they all want to sit in this office, and you're here right now, and you're fucking this meeting up. These are all things he said to me verbatim. Wow. Right away. Welcome to L.A. Right. And so he's like, I want you to get out. You don't belong here. I'm like, what? He's like, listen, I want you to go out there and start a fire. If the fire's big enough, I'll see the smoke. And if I get hungry, I'll toast my marshmallows at your fire. And as I'm walking out of this office, I turn around and I say, can I get some commercial representation? He said, if Robert De Niro wants to make Rolex commercials, we'll set that up. But I'm, we don't do commercials. Yes. We don't do commercials here. I mean, this is the biggest, the biggest agency in the world, like you said. This may be the <laughs> biggest favor I've ever heard. Yeah. Huh. I went home and my roommate was like, yo, Vinny Chase, are you director <laughs> William Morris Endeavor? I said, no, but I got to start a fire. Yeah. I, and I did. Like right away, I hit the ground running, you know, and I, a, a girl called me later on that day, and she said, it was an ex-girlfriend of mine, she said, I want to come visit you. She broke up with me because her ex-boyfriend got out of prison. So, I want to come visit you, and I'm like, no, you're not coming to visit me. You broke up with me because your ex-boyfriend got out of prison. 
We hung up the phone, and I thought to myself, man, I wish I would have broken up with her. And I, what funny ways would I have done this? Did you get back together with her? No. <laughs> but I created a web series called Breakups with Matt McManus, where I broke up with hot actresses in one minute. And I, and I released the series the, like the week that Funny or Die became a thing. And they put me on the front page. And that kind of started my fire. Like I was just making my own content with my blood, sweat, and tears with these young men and women that just believed in comedy. Mm -hmm. And we did this hard for a long, long time. I got a job managing a nightclub in West Hollywood called 650 North, right, right out the gate. I was managing you know, a, a lot of different people because there was a brand new club and they hired me based on my New York City resume and I made friends. One of which was a, collabor a future collaborator of mine named Steven Seidel who we just started making prank videos together called The Matt and Steve Show. Like we would show up to, we would do weird things like we'd do a bit called dry hump where we would go up to cars at a car wash, dry the car <laughs> off and hump the car. Or you know, or like Naturally. we do, or we do a thing called napping with wigs, where I wear a wig and walk up, yeah, up and down Melrose Avenue and fall asleep on people's laps. Like weird stuff. But this company out of New York City called My Damn Channel, which um, was a big company at the time, uh, gave most of the cast of the state their own web series. Um, it, the, um, they gave Jimmy Fallon had a channel on there. Mark uh, Mark Marin, Marin had a, a, a channel on there as well. There were some really popular, well-known comedians that had channels on this thing, but they also gave a bunch of young people like myself at the time an opportunity and some money to make their own content. So based on the stuff, based on the chat, not even really based on some of the videos I made in Los Angeles, they just backtracked and like, yo, this guy's been doing this for seven years already. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So they, they greenlit a series called McMahon, which is obviously a play on my last name. Yeah. It was a 24-episode series. They released it for 24 weeks. And then it got some accolades. Like every week, the USA, USA Today would put it in its what to watch on the web. And um, I, I did, you know, Deadline Hollywood, um, The Hollywood Reporter, Young Hollywood, all, you know, were paying attention to this, this content that I was making. And I was so happy that all these things were starting to work out, that I had arrived in a town with a dream and it was materializing because I saw a, sh a TV show called The Tom Green Show mm -hmm. on MTV. And I knew that's what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. Mm. Like that. I was like, I'm going to have a show on MTV and I'm going to, you know, uh, I'm going to be a star. That happened. I mean, I actually, a job came my way via MTV. They were doing a, a hidden camera prank show brought me on to write it, some of it, to per perform on it, et cetera, et cetera. And it didn't go all the way. And I was like, and, and I was kind of, you know, I was, set, I was upset about that, but I, <clears throat> I needed that pause because I moved here and I just hit the ground running so fast. And something I've realized lately that I think I wish someone would have told me earlier, and this brings it, we were talking about earlier some California, <laughs> Magic Stone, ayahuasca type talk. And <laughs> so the ego is such a fucking crazy thing. Mm -hmm. I think, like, where, where we grew up, you know, you're from the Bronx. People wore their ego on their clothing, on their car. You know, they, you are what you did and what you had. Mm -hmm. And not necessarily what you brought to the table, just how many tables you owned. Mm. Mm. And I, I was raised amongst this ethos. 
and it, it's something I wish someone would have told me meant nothing years ago. Really? Yeah. Because I was leading for so long, I believe, with, with this overwhelming need to prove that I could prove the naysayers wrong, prove myself right, allow that everyone in my hometown to understand that I've succeeded, mm. all, the, all this kind of stuff. Mm. And none of that means anything at the end of the day if you're not doing anything right for the world. And so I think at that moment, after I had been running for so long, using my craft and my art and my skill to my advantage, I, was, I had to hit pause and kind of reevaluate what it is I wanted to bring to right. the table. What your tackling fuel is. Yeah. And was it just that that one thing that woke you up, or was it starting to culminate, 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 and that was the final straw? I also found out I was, I was going to be a dad. Okay. Right around that point in time. Okay. And so life was just like, hey! <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, it came to a, a stop that needed to take place. Mm -hmm. And that's when I think that I started to like sit in a room with myself, like the person I had become. And the person I used to be, the child I used to be, got a chance to kind of sit in the same room with one another and shake hands and be like, bro, how you doing? Because I'm doing all right. You know, I'm a little confused. Let's try to figure this shit out together. And um, I guess that was four years ago. You know, and there's a lot of other little nuanced things that took place up until that point that really informed what it is that I wanted to do. People would ask me why I got into, into, into entertainment. And I would say, when I was 14 years old, my parents got to and I didn't know what to do. I, I just felt like I, I, I turned to punk rock, I turned to rap music, I turned to graffiti, I turned to you know, rebellious forms of art, which I, I still do to this day. And I find a lot, a lot of truth in that. Um, but really, I would say something like Mrs. Doubtfire. That I would watch that, and a man that I loved would dress like a woman in order to spend time with his kids because his family was splitting up. And there was a lot of sadness in that mm. movie, but the silver lining was the genius and the humor that this man invoked. Mm. And so I, I, my answer perpetually was, I want to provide the youth of America with answers to their confusion with humor. And that doesn't necessarily mean cramming a message down their throat, <laughs> but that just means like, I might eat, open a can of tuna in front of someone and try and eat it in front of their face just to get a weird reaction and record right. it. You right. know, I was like a walking nail on a chalkboard just trying to shine a light on a dark place, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. Do you find that looking back, you know, being from the East Coast, I mean, I relate, you know, to, you know, there's a certain ethos, you know, and a certain street cred or a certain, but I also feel like you have a code. I'm 48, so maybe you don't realize it yet. Be, you know, I've been out here since 1994, but like some of the things that back East, like, you know, it's, I feel like I really connect to the part like what what's serving you? What's mm -hmm. serving others, right? What's the bigger cause to all this? There's the micro, the the self that maybe doesn't want to identify with hey, how you doing? Uh, this is who I am, this is who I was, this is who I'm gonna fucking be. Spit on my hand, God bless, it's legit. Yeah, I get that, but there's a code. And the code is that pulse. Mm -hmm. It's that I'm gonna get things done no matter what. It's that resiliency, at least for me where it's like that indomitable spirit. Mm -hmm. And that spirit can be in any vessel. I agree. You know, so that's the part I feel like that's the, the, the unique differentiation. And it's that part that even a New Yorker would even allow himself to be questioned. 
Whereas in LA, I feel, and I'm, we're generalizing, and forgive sure. me, but I'm always going to go back to the Big Apple. It's just yeah. how I am. It's the water I was raised. At six and three, do you think we know what the world's going to be like in no. 10 years? No, no fucking clue. No, I remember That's the, my high horse for today. I'm into the horse, and I'll, I'll ride the race. But, um, and I think if, to break, to, to, to reduce what you're saying, not reduce it, but to, to, to make a microcosm of it, is understanding oneself and what the, your rights are, you know, um, and then understanding others, which is empathy. Right. And I and, and and I think that empathy, that is that should be ter- t- t- uh, taught first and foremost. Um, but also, like in high school or uh, seventh grade, I was in home ec, and I learned to make an omelet, and I learned how to use sandpaper, uh, and I learned how to do. I was like, still make omelets. Why don't we teach emotional economics? Yeah, exactly. You know, why don't we have divorced and couples that have made it thirty years in marriages mm. come in and talk about compromise? You know, me at 14, hmm. maybe a little rebellious, wouldn't, maybe I wouldn't, maybe with ADD, wouldn't have been able to digest it all, but you got to plant a seed. For sure. You know, and 50%, if not more, of marriages fail, and so there is so much dialogue that's not had, and everyone says to you when your parents get divorced that it's not your fault, but what are they really trying to say? You know it's not your fault. You can hear yeah. the arguments happening, you, you know? Um, you can see the breakdown of things. And so, empathy. I think and a, a way to really break that down in a picture is that we have these five emotions, basic emotions that we're born with. They're, you know, they're set inside of us, right? And they're dominoes. We'll call them the five dominoes. <laughs> and they fall down. They're all connected to one another. And once one gets knocked, the others get knocked, and they're all connected, right? We all have these five, and they all get triggered in different ways and fall down in different ways. The difference between my dominoes and your dominoes is that they get up in a different order than yours. So my anger could be number one, and my sadness could be number five, or my sadness could be number one, and my anger could be number two. And so I think that as children, we have to like... Like, these people are around you, and kindness is key, right? Kindness is, like, the intrinsic thing in all of religious doctrine. Mm. Like, what, like, that's what it all started with, and then they wanted order and money. But and then they, kind- screwed <laughs> they screwed it up. Kindness is it, right? Yeah. Okay, so kindness is a word of kindness means being nice. Don't punch, or make some, don't punch someone or make fun of them, right? It's much more than that, and it's, 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 a, constant, it's a constant practice. Mm-hmm. And empathy is, is basically the embodiment of kindness, is the understanding that there are other human beings around you. And as a parent, I was lucky enough to live in a neighborhood with my ex and my child that was very kid-friendly. It was Park La Brea in the middle of uh, Los Angeles, mm-hmm. which has a million children in it. Yes. So I was able to socialize my child at a very young age, and I was not scared to put him around other children, mm-hmm. which I think is, it does your kid a disservice. Um, and just having him or her surrounded by other children and playing with them at a very young age can, re- can really boost that empathy. And they also say, and I don't know, I haven't done all the research, they say by the time your kid's five, they are who they are. They're wired who they are. Their empathy is either in there or they're in, it isn't in there. Mm. Mm. If that's true, my kid just turned five. So let's go to Vegas. 
Yeah, we're ready. I did, I did a good job. He's empathetic. <laughs> Done. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it really is about being able to walk in someone else's shoes. Not just feel bad for them. Not say, oh, he's suffering from autism. It's really saying, what would it be like to be him? Okay, I'm going to see the world from right. his view. And then the comedy part is essential even yeah. today with all the word police, the nanny state, which it could be overbearing, right? Oh, yeah. Like I here's my here's my curmudgeon side. Like give me a fucking chance to figure out your certain that you know, your pronoun, your gender, what why well, can't fucking keep up. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, There's a lot there. Right? And, and it's and I'm saying I, I, it is cool to figure out your identity. I just, I'm not a fan of boxes. Like, I just don't yeah. like Exactly. And here's the part they what's change. so unique. And I, lo- I adore your comedic side because I did a little research. And you, you said something earlier about how you want to use comedy to clarify the confusion in the world. Mm-hmm. Right? Exactly. And, and, and for me, that's such a great way because comedy will always touch on the gray area. Can you talk about I'm going to make fun of it. You laughed. I just disarmed you. You were laughing at something you shouldn't be laughing at. Mm-hmm. But because I said it in such a unique, inoffensive way, I just found out you're a racist. You know, right. but it's it's that wordplay and teasing out and I tie in with my social anxiety as well. Like I use humor. And I'm not a I'm not I'm like a, a locker room funny guy. I'm not a real funny guy like you, but it's a great way to find out you know, your contingencies of safety, especially if you're anxious or you now as a parent, are they going to, hey, that kid just smacked me. Your, your kid's a biter. Like, what do you want me to say? Like, I, there's no manual to, to figure out how do you confront the, the, the mother of a biter. Bite uh, right? It would be a great YouTube skit. Like, right? I went to a wedding this summer with my son in Seattle of his godfather, my, uh, uh, my best friend who got me at the meeting at William Morrison ever. And he was running around with a little girl his age, he was, he's a big kid for five, and he was running around with a little girl. He wasn't like trying to run into her, but she stopped running, yeah. and he ran into her, and she got hurt, and he apologized. And I could tell the parents were upset. Parents get upset. You're, if your child's hurt, you want to sure. stop the hurt. And I, I could tell that like the dad felt the need to talk to me about it, and I just wanted to, <laughs> and, I, and I was like, I, he's, I'm cool with that. Yeah. yeah, like let's we're parents, and we. I was like, hey man, I'm sorry. The, you know, things got, things got a little aggressive. I'll make sure it's toned down. He was like, all right, thanks, man. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, and that goes back into empathy. Right. Understanding that my anger could be your sadness, or your sadness could be, you know, uh, something completely different. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's another thing. Like, where we grew up, man, I don't know if, you know, in, I know, you know, people go to 10 right away. Oh, yeah. People they, go to, they, people, they live at 10. Not, they, live, they live at 10, <laughs> and they have... And 11 and 12 is in their back pocket. Oh, yeah. And the figure, it's a knife. Not a, Sometimes it's a real knife, but I'm saying like, <laughs> in the house that I grew up in, in the block that I grew up in, like, if someone scratches your car, makes fun of your girlfriend or your cat or your shoes, you go for the jugular. You're like, you didn't graduate college, you can't spell. You know, like, yeah. you, you know what I mean? You, you, Such an aggressive way to grow up. <laughs> oh, yeah. it, it's really, it's really aggressive. No one, li- no one likes you. You could be flicked off the planet. Nothing would change. People would cry for maybe two minutes. You know, you know, <laughs> like that's a, I've heard someone say like, I, you could be flicked off the planet and nothing would change. I'm going to save that one in my pocket for people I really don't like now. <laughs> yeah, please. Thank please, you. Please. But, but so, yeah. And so. I'm looking at your board here. The primary differences. But, uh, the, I'm sorry, I'm kind of jumping around here. No, oh, hey, this is not in order. This yeah, was uh, yeah. stream of thought. What we want to talk about. The the difference between for me mm-hmm. as an individual, 
but the difference between LA and New York is that I am no longer that person. I don't, I don't adhere to that behavior. And it's interesting when my family gets together because not everyone is the same. You know, some people aren't as, I don't want to say evolved, but yeah, I guess that's what I mean. I have a twin sister. I have a twin sister. She came out a minute before me, but my mom had a C-section, so she wasn't born first. The doctor was just being polite. (laughs) You know, like, you know, ladies Ladies first. first. Yeah, but she was really the alpha male of the two of us. Mm. She wanted to do anything, I did it. She didn't want to do ballet, I did ballet. My mom was like, you're going with Rebecca, you're doing that. (laughs) And I love love it too. Um, (laughs) Is she as funny as you? In her own way. Mm. In her own way. She knew at like seven she wanted to be a Rhodes Scholar. And I just loved pot tarts. That was the primary difference. Hmm. Um, but she's a. Ironically enough, she went to school for advertising. Was like an advertising guru in New York City. Made a bunch of money and quit because she wanted to become a special ed teacher. Wow, awesome! And she, and she is, and she's great at it. And she, and she's like playing my songs for these kids in her class. And we'll get to that too. But yeah. the primary difference I would say is that. I got into like a discussion with my twin sister, an argument with my twin sister about a year ago here in Los Angeles. And she wasn't being mean, but she went to 10 right away. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, we don't have to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. We're not those people. <laughs> we're not, you know, uh, we, we just like, we're, I'm like, breathe. And we'll continue this in 10, 10 minutes. I mean, if the guy that moved here nine years ago saw me talking like that, he would be like, what's going on, man? <laughs> you all right? So is it, is it the location that changed you? No. I think it's just the years. The years, yeah. It, it's the years. It's the, uh, it, it is the weather. I know that gonna, that, that's huge. I went to college in upstate New York where there was a dark <laughs> cloud over that, that school for four years. Oh. And I lived in Brooklyn, which is a wonderful place. But I was running on a hamster wheel, working three jobs simultaneously, barely really getting by. And you know what? It was probably the, some of the best eight years of my life. You know, honestly. I mean, I was, I was a, a young, silly guy doing big boy stuff. Probably should have saved a bunch of money, but I didn't. Mm. Um, but I was exploring my, uh, the best city in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, and, um, but I think the years of living here with good weather, with peace of mind, with a career that is ever evolving, uh, and definitely peaks and valleys, and humbled me in, wh- in moments and times where I was completely embarrassed at, you know, I didn't see my life going this way. Hmm. You know, because uh, my son is five now. So three years ago, me and his mom split up. We were never married. And um, she and I went to the performing arts summer camp together when we were 12 years old. And my mom decided to send me there because I had a gift in her eyes. And I, she's like, you got to get out there. And honestly, those formative summers were amazing to me because it was the first time I ever made friends, really, mm-hmm. outside of my, home, my two friends in my hometown. And these were cool kids from New York City that were like singers and dancers that are all still working and like people huh. we all know. And um, Natalie Portman was in this, this, this program with us and a bunch of other people. I didn't really understand the gravity of it, but I now have a five-year-old son because my mom decided to send me to camp when I was 12. Huh. <laughs> and you, so you got to yeah. think about the choices you make in the instant for your children that will go on to affect them for the rest of their life. Mm. But anyway, you know, I was single f- f- six years ago, so was she. She was living in New York, and we fell in love very quickly because someone reached out to me on Facebook and said, is this Big Mac from Camp Use Dan? Which was uh, uh, my nickname because on the first day at camp, I ate three Big Mac sandwiches. 
And I said, no one's called me that in 20 years. Yes, this is him. <laughs> and he's like, we're all still friends, and most of us live in L.A., and we all work in entertainment. Like, we're having a reunion. Like, let's get together. And so we did. Too cool. And so I, I fell in love with this beautiful woman from New York City who's easily the most talented woman in Los Angeles. She's a musician. And um, she moved out to L.A. We moved into Park La Brea, and we made a baby <laughs> very, very quickly because... Uh, loved each other but the thing is we had a pregnancy scare very early on in the relationship she wasn't pregnant but it opened a dialogue yeah. about what we would have done and so we decided to pull the goalie so we pulled the goalie and i've been having sex since i was a kid and i didn't know that this guy was actually ever going to really make a baby and he did and uh it was an afternoon afternoon delight it was <laughs> one and we and this is dude i was not like i was such a knucklehead like we went to the doctor it's amazing how you remember that. Yeah. Oh. A lot of people do. I do. Oh, yeah. absolutely. You I would will... think, right? I mean, I'm just saying, we're, yeah. we're spitting fire hoses all, <laughs> our whole life. And I remember the two times that I conceived. <laughs> and people are like, are you really the HPS, a highly sensitive person or whatever, HSP? I'm like, I guess I am. Yeah, I guess As long as I don't have HPV, I'm cool. <laughs> yeah, you know? But I mean, I, I, I shit you not. I remember the exact moment. I'm like, your egg just dropped. You know what I'm like? <laughs> yeah. like, what's wrong with you? I'm like... Bro, it's not an LA thing. It's it, you either have that yeah. or you don't. And so many people try for so long. Yeah, children. What a blessing. And 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 I mean, it was you know done. And <laughs> I walk into the Bob Hope Health Clinic, which is a clinic for actors. That, yeah. that yeah, And with her, and I'm wearing short cutoff shorts, a backwards hat, a tank top. I look like a bum. And this old man doctor walks in. He takes one look at me. Takes one look at her. He's like, "Well, you did it." <laughs> <laughs> And, and did you say what? <laughs> and I was like, uh, and we didn't actually, we were speechless for like an hour. And then we were extremely happy and still are. But we pressed fast forward. Yeah. Um, and, and it just happened so quickly and there was not a lot of foundation put in place. And there were just fundamental things that were, I saw the writing on the wall and I'm pretty sure she did too, that were going to not shift or change. And at, at an opportune moment, at a difficult moment, we split. And um, and he was two, and now three years later that a new normal has been built. I mean, there's been a lot of work put in place. We're co-parenting. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we're in constant contact with one another. I'm, I'm, we're, each of us are always basically available to help the other out. And because you're both still working, you're both still yeah. creative. You're you're moving and shaking in this town. And it's you know it's an interesting thing. And people are like, how are you? And she's got a boyfriend who's a really nice guy. You know, uh, and I like them a lot. And, like friends of mine, are like so, like you go over there all the time, and like you guys see each other, and like you actually go in the house and hang out. And she's got a boyfriend, and, and I was like, yeah, all the like I'm not gonna provide like a negative environment for my child. Nor am I gonna live in a negative space. Yeah, is it like the ocean? Sometimes you drive to the ocean, and it's warm. You can see the waves are clear from a mile away, and you got bagels in the car, and you're going to stick around and eat Doritos for a while. Sometimes you drive to the ocean, and you see a storm brewing. You don't stick around that long, mm. but that's life, you know? Um, and it's a very loving environment, and it's a TV show. I mean, like, it really is a TV show, you know? Uh, and I did write a TV show about it that I'm trying to sell as well. But it's a very cool place to be, and a lot of my non-progressive friends back east or even people out here, they're just like, how does this work? Like, it just seems so counterculture, so heebie-jeebie, so hippy-dippy. And I'm like, it's really just trying to provide a healthy emotional environment for a little boy. <laughs> it's not yeah. about me. No. It's not about her. It's about him. <laughs> yeah. 
And, um, and so when we split up, three years ago, I lived on my friend Rachel's couch. She had just gotten married, and her and her new husband allowed me to live, no, I'm sorry, live in their spare bedroom for three months, rent-free. I had $400 to my name, an old Mercedes that didn't work. I had been, you know, taking care during the, doing the day duties while she was at work. I was kind of a stay-at-home dad. You know, I was walking around the middle of the city with puke all over me, just questioning my life, but really excited about being a dad. Mm -hmm. And so when I lost that job that I was talking about, I, I used this whole moment to be like, I'm going to fucking embrace fatherhood. Mm -hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be good at this. And, I, and I, you know, it's going to take some time to get good at it, but I'm going to read some books, and I'm going to talk to people, I'm going to make dad friends, I'm going to do, do the best job I can. Was it the best job in the world? No, because you're doing it for the first time, but it was, I'm doing the best job I can. I love that, and so many men don't embrace that. It's like, mm. you're a dad, you're 50-50 in this. Mm -hmm. Get some puke on your sweater and man up. Yeah, man. Father that's up. That's <laughs> fucking good shit. Yeah. Man, like, having a baby sleep, have, I mean, listen, I've done some drugs, in my youth, okay, like I've, I've, you know, I've, I've accidentally done mushrooms in Malibu and gone up to uh, Howie Mandel in the middle of Fourth of July and said, "Your face is crazy, Howie." Like I've, I've done some stuff, right? I don't, uh, you know, like when I was young, sure, New York City, crazy. The best drug in the world is a, is a child. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like that's, the, I mean, people say, "I gotta go to, I gotta go to Europe and backpack and find myself." <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta eat, pray, love the shit out of this country. I gotta do the, I, I gotta do all these things. Uh, listen, great, travel the world, become cosmopolitan. That's the third time I've said that word. This interview. <laughs> um, all of those answers were downloaded to me the second I had a baby. I didn't need to go backpacking. I, I was like, oh, it, I, it simplifies things and complicates things for the better overall. And it's not easy. In the first two years, you're a zombie. Mm -hmm. you, you know, some kids don't sleep, some kids don't eat. Most kids, you know, wake up a couple of times in the middle of the night. All the gray hair in my beard is because of those first two years. I don't regret it at all. It's, it's hard and it's easy at the same time, but it's fucking, it's beneficial. And it gives your life a sense of purpose that, you, you know, or at least the, that I never thought I had. And my dad, I was all crazy Uncle Matt out in California making weird videos, kissing homeless people and hugging strangers. My dad would call me, Matt, your aunt read the newspaper. She says that you're, you're, you're uh, telling people to pick up their dog poop wearing a fake cop outfit. Hey, Dad, I thought you bought me the membership for that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you wrote the book on this stuff, Dad. <laughs> and I say, yeah. And when I told him I was going to be a dad, he's like, well, I didn't see that one coming. You're, he just didn't see it coming. Huh. You know? You're like full of surprises. I'm really good at it, and um, and and I, and regardless of other people will advocate for that. I I just know that because I see this bright soul being empathetic mm. and happy yeah. and full of food. And he's a snacker. <laughs> this kid snacks. I mean, I'm his dad, you know. Um, and his mom's like a yoga going, thirty day fitness challenge type of girl, and I, you know, and I, I'm relatively healthy for other reasons that we'll get to. But we split up. And I was living in this bedroom, and I love hip-hop music. Because it's a part of this, like, trinity, which mm -hmm. is rap music. Skateboarding? Skateboarding? Skateboarding was the gateway into all Okay, all right, okay. Actually, thanks for bringing that up. Hip-hop's got such great storytelling, too. 
And that's what I wrote this because no, that was the 22 year anniversary of the notorious B.I.G.'s um, passing yesterday on the 9th. And I wrote a post on Facebook that said the difference between a good rapper and a bad one is if you're listening to it and they're telling you a story mm -hmm. that has a beginning, a middle, internet. Mm -hmm. And I found such freedom in that because I had those problems as a kid uh, with my identity and with social anxiety. The fact that you can take words, words that were actually an enemy to me, because when I was told that I couldn't read, I was like, words freak me out. People call me stupid because I can't read words mm -hmm. right. Like, I don't like books. I don't like words. Like, I had a problem with words. And then when you could tell me you can make art with words and, like, have an identity be that, like, I, I, I was totally dumbfounded mm. by the fact that you could express yourself in this radical way that was based in the streets. And my parents were going through the divorce. I had problems in classrooms, but I picked up a skateboard and I made friends. And they introduced me to all this stuff. Spray right? cans. Yeah, man. <laughs> and I, 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 this love story with, 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 uh, with this, uh, these art forms but this started when I was like 14, and I never really intended on recording rap music. I would freestyle at parties, you know, and my friends would say, you're good at this. And I'd say, okay, well, I'll just do it at parties, you know. And I was placed in like a program in New York called HEOP in college, which stands for Higher Equal Opportunity Program, which is a state-run program that gives inner-city kids the ability to go to college um, financially. And they have to, most of them are minorities, and they have to, I believe legally, have two or three white kids in each graduating class. And, it's, and I was one of them, and I had to go in the summer before college, just live in a dorm with these kids from the Bronx, from Manhattan, and from Brooklyn. And once they heard this chubby white kid start rapping, they were like, yo, what are you doing? Where did this come from? They were marching me around the whole dorm <laughs> building, being like, look at this kid. <laughs> you know and 